to 1 Samuel chapter 5. I'm going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 5. And this is what God's Word says. After the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then they carried the Ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. When the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. They took Dagon and put him back in his place. But the following morning, when they rose, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. His head and hands had been broken off and were lying on the threshold, only his body remained. That is why to this day, day, neither the priests of Dagon nor any others who enter Dagon's temple at Ashdod step on the threshold. The Lord's hand was heavy upon the people of Ashdod and its vicinity. He brought devastation upon them and afflicted them with tumors. When the men of Ashdod saw what was happening, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not stay here with us, because his hand is heavy upon us and upon Dagon our God. So they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and asked them, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, Have the ark of the, of, of the God of Israel moved to Gath. So they moved the ark of the God of Israel. But after they had moved it, the Lord's hand was against that city, throwing it into a great panic. He afflicted the people of the city, both young and old, with an outbreak of tumors. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. As the ark of God was entering Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, They have brought the ark of the God of Israel around us to us to kill us and our people. So they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and said, Send the ark of the God of Israel away. Let it go back to its own place, or it will kill us and our people. For death had filled the city with panic. God's hand was very heavy upon it. Those who did not die were afflicted with tumors, and the outcry of the city went up to heaven. Let's listen in it to Jesus as he speaks to us through his word. Your Bibles to Matthew and chapter 6. Matthew 6. I'll just read um, verse 9. This is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time now that we've come to, and we thank you for all the, uh, the truth that we've been hearing proclaimed by brothers and sisters around us as we sung and, and as they shared up the front and uh, as uh, as been prayed. We thank you for that truth that we've heard and we thank you now we come to this time where we can just sit and just focus on one voice um, and, and look for what you are saying to us. And we pray now that, you would, uh, that as you speak that we would listen and we will give you our attention and allow you into our hearts and lives now. Please uh, bring life to us as your people. Um, help us and teach us to pray. We pray this in your name. Amen. And brilliant. So it's great uh, to be uh, here, and we're in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we've done Our Father in Heaven. We did the In Heaven bit on a Wednesday, so if you haven't been around for that, it wasn't recorded, so sorry about that. Uh, but you can come and chat, and I can kind of fill you in a bit with that. Uh, but Our Father, we've been talking, haven't we, about how is it we, are we to pray? What is Jesus wanting to tell us in order that we, we should know how to pray? And first he says, say our Father. So we're remembering, aren't we, that Jesus is putting his arm around us and say, say our Father. 
I am with you in this and you are with me. I will take you. You come into the presence of God on my back, on my shoulders, over my heart, like the high priest as he walks into the Holy of Holies. We come with him and because of him. And he says to us, he is your father in the exact same way as he is my father. Isn't it? What? That is incredible. The same boldness at which Jesus walks in, you were to walk in. The expectation that Jesus has that he hears, it should be the same expectation you have that he hears. We come in on the back of Jesus and we're to call him Father. And what a great title that is, isn't it? Great title. Jacob in the break now just came to me. He said, Dad, do you know, because you've got those chocolates and, and you are my father, if there's some left over at the end, can I have one? <laughs> that's lush, isn't it? That's, a, that's, like, that's my whole last week's sermon, that is, um, in a few words. Because you're my dad, isn't it? That's what that catechism question says, isn't it? What should be basic to our prayers? Basic, people, is that you're a child and he is the father. And he is your father. And because he's your dad, because you're my father, and because you're all powerful and you own everything... Can you do this? Can I have that? Can you do this for someone else? And it is amazing. That, that is what we've got to so far. I do feel we, I need to say one thing, though, about the hour, Father, bit, the hour. Because what I would have done before doing a lot of you know, thinking on this, I would have just jumped into the fact that when you pray privately, which is the context of this, isn't it? Go into your closet, not the wardrobe, but go into a room and close the door with all these distractions and pray. Don't do it for everyone to say, wow, what a godly person you are. No, go into your room, close the door, and meet him, talk to him. But when you talk to him on your own, you have to have this, this consciousness about you that you're, you're not an individual, that you're part of a church, isn't it? That's the hour. I would have gone into that first. Most important is that Jesus says, our Father. So, okay, so that's the most important, but it doesn't exclude this part is that when you pray on your own, you are not to see yourself as an individual, a private person. You're not to see that. You are to see that you belong to a people. So when you say, our Father, and it's actually blatantly obvious in the whole prayer, isn't it? Our Father, then give us today. I'm praying in my room. Yeah, but it's give us today our daily bread Forgive us our trespasses, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. You have to be aware that when you go to the throne of God, that you actually go there and there's others around, isn't there? That you are part of a people. And this is good, this, because the half, of, half of our prayers are just really selfish, aren't they? Of like, me, 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 me. Well, it's like, no, this is like, no, have your, have your eyes open here. There's other people around. And we've felt the sort of challenge of that, haven't we? When we've talked about, what if I don't pray for someone and they're, then they're struggling? Isn't it? I need to pray for other people. And I think the other thing with this is, this is the way that you, you should pray. This is what true prayer looks like. True prayer looks like that you are conscious that you're, you belong to a people. So what does it mean if you don't belong to a people? It means that you need to sort that out. Don't go church hopping around. Maybe some new students, maybe you're still hopping around. 
No, no, you've got to belong to a people. It means this, that anyone who prays in secret will actually turn up to the prayer meeting on Wednesday, right? Because anyone who's doing true prayer is praying corporate, you know, with a consciousness of being part and belonging with a people, which then would stir in you this desire to come and not pray just by yourself, but come to the gathered prayer meeting. It, may, it doesn't mean that you'll always lead out in prayer, but you're here. You're here saying amen to other people's prayers because you know that it's not about just you and your walk with Jesus. It's about you belonging with God's people. So if you're not here on a Wednesday, I wonder what your secret prayer life is like. If you even got one. Maybe you haven't even got one. Or if you have, you're doing it wrong. If you don't have this consciousness that you belong with a people. It's not to say that everyone on a Wednesday, their secret prayer lives are, are, are the bomb. It's not saying that. But it is saying if you're absent, then what's that about? Anyone who's got a strong secret prayer life will turn up and pray corporately, be involved in the prayer meeting on a Wednesday. That is the hour prayer thing that I just wanted to hit uh, just before we go any further, that you are to have this consciousness that you are part of a people. That's great, isn't it? That is so, that's so helpful. So when you pray on your own, it, it, naturally it should lead you into praying for others in the church, that you've got your, your church directory out in front of you and that you work your way through it. Um, throughout the weeks that you've prayed for everyone, you know, from the church. I think that's what it kind of implies. Okay, so let's move on to the next bit then. There's our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. And so we come here to a word that isn't changed, is it, in our modern translations of the Bible, this word hallowed. What does hallowed mean? It's not the kind of word I've used in the last Five years, maybe. I don't know. Have you used that sort of word? I've probably heard it maybe a couple of times, um, and I've heard it in this sort of way when someone um, is talking maybe about a great educational institution, and they refer to it as the hallowed halls of education. Have you heard that sort of phrase? The hallowed halls of this university. Um, or I've heard it this, that um, it's hallowed ground upon which men and women have given their lives in service to their nation. This is hallowed ground. Um, and what, it, what that hallowed word is, is meant to infer is that there should be this respect uh, and this honoring um, of whatever they're talking about at the time. So that university is, you don't, you don't, you don't slag it off. You kind of go, no, it should be respected. The, the place on which you stand where uh, the hallowed ground where men have shed their blood is that you don't disrespect them with anything that you say or that you do. So it kind of does have that sort of meaning about it, but it's more than that. This word hallowed, it's, it's um, interchangeable with some other words in the Bible, like holy, the word holy, the word sanctify or sanctified. That is what the word means. It means that as you pray here about God, this is the first then of the six petitions in the Lord's Prayer. First three are petitions about God. The second three are petitions about us. This first petition, this first ask to God is that His name would be hallowed, that His name would be holy, that His name would be set apart, would be different from anything else that I see around me. That is the first petition. That's what the word hallowed means. So kids, you, you know, we say the Lord's Prayer maybe in school still. I'm not sure about that. But if you do, this is what the word means. Hallowed is like holy. Set apart. 
totally different from anything that you see with your own eyes, that his name would be hallowed. And what does the name mean? You know, it's like, what, what is that part about? Is it the word God? Is it the word Lord? Is it the word Jesus? We use names as labels, don't we? That's how we do it. It's to, it's to distinguish one person from another person. Um, so we've got a boy called Jacob. Yeah, so he's not then confused with Markan uh, or Robin or Ayaz or Joel. He's got a label on him and it's Jacob. That's why we chose, well, we didn't. Isabel came up with a name actually uh, because we were struggling. Innit? You struggle with names. And it's like, well, when we say, when we choose names when babies are born, you're like, does that sound good? Josie Jones. Yeah, has a good ring to it. Yeah, Jeremiah Jones. That would have had a good ring to it. Do you know, you, you think, what does it sound like? Then you do, don't you, the, you look at the initials. Does that work or does it spell out some sort of like text message or LOL or something like this? Or, do you know, you have, a, you have a look at that, don't you? What is it? Um, you know, KKK or something. No, no, let's not go on that. So you, you look at that and you're like, does and then you look at the person. Do they suit the name? Does, does Jacob suit him? And you, you're asking all these, sort, these different weird questions. In the Bible, it's not like that with names. It's not like that at all. When you give someone a name, it, it tells you something about the person. So the word Adam in the Bible, it means man or mankind. So if you got introduced to Adam, you would have an idea of who he is because of his name. You, you get introduced to Jacob, you have no idea who he is according to his name, right? Well, you, you might do, because <laughs> what Jacob means. But, you know, you, you, we don't do it. You don't have a clue what the person's like until you get to know him. But here you're introduced to Adam. He is mankind. In Adam is the whole human race. That is what you can know about him just simply from his name. And then he gets married to a woman, and her name is Eve. And she is the mother of the living. So as soon as you're introduced to her, you know something of who she is. All of us have come from her, isn't it? That's how it works in the Bible. Another example is Jacob himself. You remember Jacob met with the angel of the Lord. And, and Jacob means supplanter, deceiver, or cheat. You see, if we chose names on that basis, then no one would be called Jacob, right? Because we wouldn't want someone to think, oh, my word, oh, I have to be careful of this boy. We don't do that. But that's the word, that's what, that's what the name Jacob means. And when you look at his life, it sums him up a treat. Doesn't it? When you read Jacob's life, how he's wheeling and dealing, we'd probably call him Fast Tony now. Uh, but he's a wheeler and dealer. He's deceitful. He's a cloak and dagger kind of guy. He's a bit pathetic in lots of ways. A bit of a mummy's boy. And then he meets Jesus. He meets him. And what happens to his name? It's changed. It gets changed. Why does it get changed? Because his character has changed. Who he is has been changed. Israel, his name will be Israel, which means someone who, it means I've got three sort of rough sort of things here. One who wrestles with God. 
or one who has power with God, or a prince with God. That is his name change from deceiver and supplanter and uh, dodgy guy to, oh, he's a prince with God. He's got a standing that he'd never have got in his wheeling and dealing days. He's got a standing with God because God has blessed him. That's his, now his new name. Isn't it? That's amazing. Abraham, his, his name before was Abraham, wasn't it? And then he gets this great purpose spoken over his life. He leaves his homeland, comes out of that land to follow Jesus, and he gets this blessing pronounced upon him and his offspring. And because of that relationship with the living God, his name is changed to Abraham. He takes something of his name, and it's in his own that's what it means when it says you're hallowed be your name. It isn't a name that's flippantly given. That's not what it is. His name is something that is really precious. You don't want no one messing with your name. If, you've got a char- if your name is linked to your character, isn't it? You don't want no one messing with your name. No one should be messing with my name. So in Exodus chapter 34... Let's look at what the name of God is like. 34 verse 8. Oh, they got the wrong wrong thing. No, there it is. Okay, it's not verse 8, it's verse 6. So here he is. Um, He says that, um, so Moses, um, he says, I'll pass in front of Moses and I'll proclaim... My name, okay, and here's his name, look. He passed in front proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. So here is Moses standing in the cleft of the rock, and here the Lord is going to proclaim his name to Moses. He doesn't just go, my name is the Lord. No, this is what the Lord means. This is what it means. The Lord, the Lord. What's he like? What's what's in his name? Oh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, don't take the mick because you will punish those who are guilty and the children of those who are guilty. That is his name. That is his character. That's his character. So when we're saying this petition of the Lord's Prayer, when we ask, hallowed be your name, we are saying to God, God, don't let anyone mess with your name. It doesn't, doesn't need us, you know, to, to make sure that it's holy. It is holy in and of itself. His name is what it is. And because it belongs to Him, it is safe. We can't add anything to it. But we're asking Him to make it holy among us. You see, we can't add to this name, but we can subtract from it. We can subtract from his name. This really is the history of like the Old Testament, of what goes on in the Old Testament. His name is holy. And because his name is holy and he keeps it holy, 
is the reason why he acts in a certain way and, what, and that he does things with his church. But we can subtract from it. We can make it so that the nations around laugh at him because of us. Because of us. And see, so when we're praying this, God, hallowed be your name. Oh, may your name be holy. It's really saying, what about among us? What about among us? You see, because this is not for the nations, this isn't. The nations can't have that, uh, that, that put upon them. You out there make his name holy. They don't even bear his name, do they? They don't bear his name. The commandments are not given uh, to them. They're given to the redeemed people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt from the land of slavery. So don't misuse my name. Isn't it? It's not with the nations that he takes up his, uh, yeah, takes up his uh, like challenge. It's with his people. So in Ezekiel 36, listen to this. He's just talking about the, the people and what they've done and their lifestyle. And wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name. For it was said of them, these are the Lord's people. And yet they had to leave the land. Lol. That's what they were doing. They were saying that. These are those people, and yet they had to leave his land. I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel profaned among the nations where they had gone. And then he says, therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It's not for your sake I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my name. And what you have throughout the Old Testament is a people, a people that are so involved in, in sin, in idolatry, in oh, seeking their own glory and their own fame, that they're living in a way contrary to the Lord. And He comes out time and time again because the nations are laughing at God because of His people. There's massive challenge in this petition of the Lord's Prayer. This is about God and His name. And he is zealous for his name. But we bear that name. We bear that name. And it's possible for us to subtract from his name. So that his name no longer looks holy when people look at us. No longer looks hallowed when people look at us. And the way that we live. See, God will deal with us if we don't get this right. So 1 Samuel chapter 5 is, comes into a middle of a story there where the Israelites are going up to fight the Philistines, and they lose. Great numbers of them are taken out, and they go back and they say, what has gone on? There must be something wrong. There's something wrong between us and the Lord, and, and they, they say, oh, let's inquire of the Lord, but they don't bother to wait for an answer back. What's plan B for them? Let's get it. Get what? The Ark of the Covenant. Let's get it. Let's get it and bring it onto the battlefield. If we bring it onto the battlefield, then he's got to show up and he's got to do something. Or maybe if we've got that with us, it'll give us a bit of good luck in it while uh, going to war with the Philistines and maybe we will win. So they don't bother with the Lord and they call the Ark of the Covenant it. The Ark of the Covenant in the Bible is a symbol of his, of his rule. It's his throne. They take his chair with them, thinking, with this, we're going to have victory. He will surely hallow his name. Well, he does. He does, doesn't he? But it involves the Ark of the Covenant being taken by the enemy. 
and set up in the temple of their false gods. At the beginning of that story, do you remember this? That there's a massive shout that goes up because the Ark of the Covenant comes into the camp. And it is such a shout that the floor rumbles. The Philistines on the other side hear this roar and they are filled with fear. They're filled with fear because a God has come into their camp. And they know that it is a renown throughout the Old Testament. From the time of Egypt, there is this renown that sounds through every single book of the Bible. Into Jericho, doesn't it? It makes the hearts melt. It comes into one Samuel and makes the Philistines tremble with fear. There is a sound of renown from the Lord as He brings His people out of Egypt, the land of slavery, and taking them to a land of their own. But then they capture the Ark of the Covenant and defeat the Israelites. What a contrast, right, between the Philistines. One moment, they're shaking in their boots. The next minute, they're walking off with the Ark of the Covenant with a lot of swag. Aren't they like this? We did. We did it. Our gods. It's like the playground thing, isn't it? My dad can beat up your dad. My God can take your God. And they put him in the temple. And they put him at the feet of Dagon. In front of him forever, forever now. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob forever will be at the foot of our God. We'll pay him homage. What's happened to your name? Lord, what has happened to your name? I tell you what, I've got to separate myself off from those guys. I've got to separate myself off from the church. Look at them. What a joke. If I turn up on their side, it says, oh, it says all kinds of things about me. I'm not going to do it. He separates himself off from the church. Get me away. I, I will keep my name holy. They come in the morning into the temple, don't they? And their God is on his face. He's fallen down. It's great, isn't it? Our God is so sarky, isn't he? He's great. Like, I'll give him this. Look at this. And so they pick him up, isn't it? Maybe some with duct tape in it. They've got to repair a bit of him. It's like, that's a bit odd, isn't it? How, how he was on the floor in front, on his face in front of the Ark of the Covenant. That's a bit odd. Let's put him back up. The next day they come in and he's on his face again. Only this time his head has flown off and smashed to pieces and his hands are smashed. All other gods, they have no power to deliver us from anything, do they? They have no power to deliver the Philistines from anything. His head is off. He's got no knowledge or wisdom to impart to them. He can't see, he can't speak. Here he is on his face in front of the living God. And wherever they put that ark, there was wrath and judgment upon the people around you can't mess around with him. You can't mess around with him and his name. His name is his character. You can't mess around with him. Don't treat him with contempt. And so the ark bounced around, didn't it, until in the end it was put on a cart and sent back. The Philistines, still on with Dagon, aren't they? Oh, let's not step on the, the threshold anymore. But still they have the God there, isn't it? Every time they cross the door, they're reminded, aren't they, of our God's not real. Our God's got no wisdom and no knowledge to impart to us. Our God's are, uh, they, cannot, they cannot save us. There's no power in them. But yet they skip over the threshold and still worship Dagon. What will the church do? What will the church do? He had to separate himself off from the church for his name to be holy. 
massive challenge here for us. What do we call ourselves? We call ourselves Christians, isn't it? When Peter tells us the first time that that name was spoken out. From that time, they were called Christians, which means Christ ones. How a very label from the world, the one that we own, says that we belong to Christ, that we are one of His, that we bear His name, that we bear His character. What a challenge here. Hallowed be your name. You've got to think before we pray this. You've got to think of what, what will He do to us so that we, His name will be holy among us. What will He do? He will make you His workmanship. He will put His Spirit in you. And He will conform you to the family likeness, the likeness of His Son. That's what He will do. He will come and He will do things in our life as a church that will kindle in us a, a trust in Him, a growing trust in Him, a growing obedience in Him, a growing desire for His glory and not our own. That is what He will do. Be careful before you pray this prayer. What you are asking Him to do is to come and to change us and bring about that likeness. When Jesus was on earth, those three things, trust, obedience, and doing everything for His glory, defined His life. He's in the wilderness and the devil tempts Him. And the issue with all the temptation stuff is not so much like, you know, that, um, yeah, that there's, oh, I, you know, I'm going to try and get Him to do something He doesn't want to do. It was a direct attack on His identity. Satan comes to Him and he says these words, if you are the Son of God, tell these bread, these stones to become bread and feed yourself. If you are the Son of God, bow down to me and I will give you all of this suffering free. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself off the roof of the church because your Father will send angels to catch you. If you are the Son of God, if you're the son, it was a, a direct attack on his identity. And he stands there and he says, I am the son of God. I am the son. And now I will respond in kind. I will respond from my identity as the son. What does the son of God do in temptations like that? He trusts his father and obeys his father and reminds himself he's living for his glory, not his own. That's what he does, a son. I see, when everything is all said and done about you, all you have, when everything is stripped away, when all of your money is gone, when all the loves in your life have died and you're standing at a graveside, when everything is said and done, what have you got? What have you got? I have got this identity that I am a son and daughter of God. That is what I've got. And I've got nothing else. Everything in, the, in this whole world will, will perish and, and pass away. But that will not. That identity will take me on into the new creation. Will take me to the place where I meet the Father and see Him face to face. It will take me to the new creation when I sit down with Jesus and when I talk to him, my brother, and share the inheritance given to him. It will take me into that new creation 
where I will live with his, his siblings, the whole church, over the, all of time past and time to come. That is the one identity that you have that cannot be taken from you because it was given by him. Jesus as the Son. What does the Son do? He trusts his Father. He obeys his Father and he lives for his glory and not his own. And nowhere else is it seen much more sharper contrast at the cross, right? At the cross. How does his name come out at the cross? What, what, what character comes out at the cross? Well, when he's in the garden, isn't it? And he's sweating drops of blood. You've got it right there, isn't it? Not my will, but yours be done. You've got this trust in the Father and, and this desire just to do the Father's will. You've got this, into your hands I commit my spirit. Into your hands, Father, I trust you that you're not going to leave me in the grave. There's Psalms, aren't there, that talk about that, of how he was confident that the Father would raise him from the dead, that his body would not see decay and abandoned there in the grave. He had this trust in the Father. He obeyed the Father. And in John 17, he says, doesn't he? He says, I have glorified you and will glorify you. As I go to the cross, I will give you glory. Now glorify me with the glory we had in the beginning. He lives for the glory of his Father. That's what a son does. That's what a son does. How is he going to hallow his name? He's going to take hold of us. Those who are in his family. He's going to take you, a son and daughter, and he is going to foster in you a trust in him. He's going to foster in you an obedience to him and a longing just to do what he says. And a desire to live for his glory and not yours. How your prayers should reflect that, right? Why don't we speak out, isn't it? It's, it's such a challenge, isn't it? Like uh, when Joe and Shanae stood here and testified those things. You really see, don't you, from their testimony that we, God sees us as co-workers, right? They were ignorant. Both of them ignorant of Jesus and his name. Yet, there were people who were bold who spoke to them because they're concerned for his glory and not their own. Someone who's obsessed of their own glory says nothing. Says nothing. Don't want to embarrass myself. Don't want to stand out. Don't want to be humiliated. Don't want to be seen as different. You're kind of in the wrong place, right? Because you're, his, his job will be to make you holy as he is holy. If you, yeah, so I just wonder, it's such a challenge to us, isn't it? Of, we pray this prayer, so expect then Jesus to work by his spirit in our lives to conform us into his likeness. So this is about the family resemblance this is. That when people look at you, when they look at you, do they see him? Do they see him? We've got this amazing task here in this church to show Jesus off, to show off the living God to the whole of the world. And we do that by living holy lives. We do that by trusting in him, doing what he says and living for his glory. Holiness is a beautiful thing, a beautiful thing. But it's the only way that the world is going to know him. We bear his name. That character read out here should be in us, right? 
compassionate. The people in Gabalva are so compassionate. The people in Gabalva are loving. People in Gabalva maintain their love for me, even though I give them loads of opportunities to bow out because of my own wretchedness and the way that I treat them. No, but they maintain their love for me. It's fantastic. That character must be seen more and more in us. So be careful when you pray this prayer. Hallowed be your name. Just have a little grasp here of of what it is you're asking. We need to be passionate for his name as Jesus was. No to idolatry. Nope, nope, nope. Get it out. Living for our own glory. No, get it out. It's my life. I'll do whatever I want. No, no, you, you, you should have given that up. So give it up. Okay, and you're saying, may his name be hallowed among us. That's why Peter says the judgment of God starts here. That's where it starts. That he comes. He hallows his name among us. Oh, that he would do it, isn't it? He would do that. Shall I pray and then we're going to stand to sing? Lord Jesus, we want to pray. You'd make us like you. Oh, you are, you are the faithful son, the loving son, the son uh, that doesn't bring grief to his parents. You are the son that we all should be. Lord Jesus, help us to be like you. And more and more, may the Spirit come. And may the Spirit work this in us. Help us to keep in step with the Spirit so that we're not at odds with Him and fighting Him over everything because what you want to do in us will be for your renown and for your name and for your glory and for the saving of souls because that's when you are glorified when they trust in the crucified Son. Lord Jesus, help us. Father in heaven, help us. Help us to be on your priorities that your name will be holy We pray that you won't have to separate yourself off from us in order to be seen as holy. Oh, Jesus, that is terrible. But yet, help us not to do that. We pray that people will look at us and see your character being formed in us, that we show off this resemblance of our Father in heaven. We pray this in your name. Amen.